Let's read. Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 to 28. If you realize, I believe that the projector is down, so if you will turn your Bible, if you have a Bible or if you have your phone on your Bible app, just turn to it, Genesis chapter 9, verses 18 to 28. It says... Genesis 9, 18-28. It says, The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and he became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backwards, and they did not see their father's Nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would grant us all grace, that we would be able to hear your word preached, that you may speak directly to our hearts, to our consciences. Allow us, Lord, to follow you accordingly. Allow us to see Christ clearly through these pages. And allow us, Lord, to revel and marvel and glory in Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name alone. Amen. As I was in the dollar van on my way to work, now, a lot of you are not from New York City, so I'll explain what a dollar van is. As you walk down this way, you'll go to probably, you'll probably hit Utica. In Utica, you'll see these vans driving. And they'll be saying, they'll say, dollar van, dollar van. Or they'll be telling you, Utica, they'll tell you their destination. And basically, it's a little cheaper than going on a bus. It's a dollar van, but it actually costs $2, so don't actually pay them $2. And usually when you go in there, it's a, it's a, it's a van, and maybe it's a, probably a nine-passenger van, and usually they'll blast their own music, and you have to be sub, you, you're subjected to their, the kind of music that they listen to. So as I was in a dollar van one day on my way to work, I heard the lyrics of a song that piqued my interest. The lyrics goes... I'm here for a good time, not a long time, you know I. I haven't had a good time in a long time, you know. I'm way up, I feel blessed. I'm way up, I feel blessed. 
He says it again. I'm way up, I feel blessed. I'm way up, I feel blessed. How many of you have heard that song before? I'm judging you, I'm judging you, okay. <laughs> I might have to change my sermon now. Um, as I, in this song, this man, he explains that he feels blessed. Now this sentiment has been expressed by many famous rappers as well as other celebrities and athletes. You hear them say many times, over and over and over again, that they are blessed. I am blessed. I feel blessed. And that does beg the question, what does it mean to be blessed? Are we to think of blessings the way that the world thinks of blessings? And another question we could ask, how do you know if you are under a curse or under a blessing? Is you being blessed or cursed dependent on your economic status? Or perhaps, as we mentioned, are you cursed because of the amount of melanin that you have in your skin? Well, we need not to look anywhere else but God's word so that we can see what it means to truly be blessed. And so the same passage that I read before you, Genesis chapter 9, turn your Bibles there with me, Genesis chapter 9, we will see blessings and we will see curses. Let's read. Genesis 9, verse 18. It begins like this. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. If you have not been with us so far, many of you have probably heard of the story of Noah. Noah's ark. Where God says the, the world begins to get really, really wicked. And God says, I'm going to destroy this world with a flood. And so Noah and, um, and, and, and his family, they go into this big ark and they take all the animals with them and God destroys this world with a flood. And now, as the, when the water has finally subsided, the Bible says that Noah went forth from the ark, so did Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Those were his three sons. Ham was the father of Canaan. The sons of Noah came forth from the ark, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. If you remember Kevin's sermon last week, you would remember that Kevin said that when you read this passage, you will see echoes of creation account. Does anybody remember that? You will see that there are some things that they, the author would say that would almost sound like creation again. And I think that's done on purpose. And we're going to realize that as we go through the passage. And a few things that we could say about these, these first couple of verses. First, it seems strange that Shem is mentioned first and not Japheth, since Japheth is the oldest. But you'll see later on why that order was important. And another thing you'll see that's important you might have in a parenthesis that Ham was the father of Canaan. During this time, the Israelites, they were at the border of Canaan. 
They were getting ready to conquer Canaan, the Canaanites. And so before they actually go over into that land, Moses is recounting their history. Moses is telling them, look, this is where the Canaanites came from. And so when he puts that little parentheses, you get an idea of, wow, Ham was the, fa Ham was the father of Canaan. Let's move on. It says, these three were the sons of Noah. From these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. So three people, it says. The whole earth was dispersed from three people, meaning that the whole world can trace their lineage back to these three gentlemen, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Earlier in the creation account, God told Adam to fill the earth. Noah had Noah and his sons take, took that order for themselves, and now the world is populated because of these three men. So all of you here, okay? Some of you, all of you here have come from these three men. Some of you here have a, a fair complexion, a dark complexion, a lighter complexion, but we all came from these three guys. To continue, it says, Noah was a man of the soil, and he began to plant a vineyard. Does that sound familiar to you? It says, Noah was a man of the soil, and he began to plant a vineyard. What do we remember of something like that? Don't you remember back then, early in Genesis, where God told Adam to work the garden? This is Noah taking charge of his garden, doing what the first Adam failed to do. I'm not saying that the first Adam actually failed in planting the garden, but what we're seeing is we're seeing this almost this recreation account. He is continuing this creation mandate that Adam received to work this garden and to keep it. But the story takes a turn in verse 21. You see the turn? It says that he drank of the wine and became drunk and laid uncovered in his tent. See, instead of Noah taking dominion over the earth, the earth or the substances was taking dominion over Noah. This is not good. So this recreation story is not perfect after all. But I must add a small parenthesis. A lot of us, when we read the Old Testament, sometimes we find that some of our heroes do the weirdest things, right? We're like, wow, how did he do that? Oh, wow, maybe I can get drunk after all. Is that what you're thinking? Um, the answer is no, you can't. But there is something in the Bible called, well, you won't find it in the Bible, the words in the Bible, but there is something that theologians call progressive revelation. The words are as it sounds, right? It means that God progressively reveals himself and his words to his people, right? God didn't just create Adam and Eve and say, okay, Adam and Eve, I just created you. Now let me tell you all my commands. Don't lie, don't steal, don't do this, don't do that. And then Adam, and then he just lays it all out on them. No, he doesn't do that, right? He incrementally gives his commands here. And then later on, he'll give more 
and he'll give more, and he'll give more, and he'll give more. You see? So that when we finally get to the end of the Bible, we actually have more revelation than what Noah had. And the reason why I bring this up is because, yeah, possibly, maybe Noah actually knew that he was a Sugetron. Maybe. Maybe, maybe not. What I'm saying, though, is that we should not always look at these Old Testament saints, which they were, they might have been righteous in many ways, but we should not look to them and say, I'm going to follow each example. And we should not look at the way in which God treated them. Sometimes God wouldn't even judge them in accordance to their sins. And you wonder why. Well, I believe that the answer is found in the idea of progressive Revelation. God progressively reveals himself to his people. Now, I'm not making excuses for um, Noah. I'm just saying what I, what I believe um, the text is teaching, but you may not subscribe to that. It's fine. Whatever the case, Noah is a sinner. Noah is a sinner that deserves hell and needs grace as much as we do. Now, while Noah is drunk, he's passed out. He sleeps in his tent, and the Bible says that he sleeps naked. Right? Where else did we find in the Bible nakedness? Remember the Garden of Eden? Where initially Adam and Eve, they were naked and unashamed. And after they ate the fruit, it says that they realized their nakedness, right? They went to go hide from God. God's like, why are you hiding? It's like, because we're naked. And that is a way in which we could see, like, we, they do not feel that they could be as vulnerable to God, transparent to God, and transparent to one another anymore. There is something to hide. There's shame now associated with nakedness. They don't feel freedom. They don't feel free before God or before others. And God covered them. In this recreation story, perhaps, we see that nakedness is still associated with shame. Because as the son, Ham, goes in there, he sees Noah and he sees that he's naked. The Bible says that he sees that he's naked. He goes out to tell his brothers. His brothers um, walk backwards so that and they cover him so that they won't see them. And Noah wakes up. He curses Ham. But why? What's going on in this story? Many people have speculated as to what exactly transpired in the tent. But I believe what, and what happened is this. Ham goes inside he sees his father naked. He sees his father in his nakedness. He goes out there, and he, it's not only that he just sees it and he just turns around. He, he looks, and, I, I'm not, and he doesn't look, I don't believe he looks with the intent of lusting. He looks in a way of mockery. Okay? And he goes out there and he goes to tell his brothers, like, you should, go see, you should go in that tent and see dad. He's naked. He's naked in there. 
And his brothers were like, okay. And his brothers, instead of like going inside and, and actually entertaining him, his brothers walk backwards and cover him. Which means that Ham, follow me, Ham marveled or he took pleasure in his father's shame. You follow? Ham took pleasure in his father's shame. And he was going to put his father on blast. Tell everybody, look, this is him. Go see him. You want to see him in his most vulnerable state? You want to see him in his most vulnerable state? Go look at him in the tent right now. And as I was thinking through that, I was thinking about just the kinds of things that you hear. Sometimes um, I have certain cases that I work on. Or sometimes someone will tell me of a story or you'll read it on a newspaper. Boyfriend and girlfriend, they were dating. And during the time that they were dating, they got really intimate. And during that time, there was video reco being recorded. And during that time, they were very intimate. They end up breaking up. What does he do? He plasters it all over Facebook. He plasters it all over whatever the new social media outlets are. And everybody else is seeing them, that person, in their shame. You follow me? Everybody is seeing them at their most vulnerable point. Now, this is, I'm not making any arguments right now. We already know that fornication is sin. We already know all this stuff. This, that's not the point of the sermon. What I'm just saying is this, is that people have done that before. People have, have marveled or taken pleasure in other people's shame. And it doesn't have to be physical. It could be something emotional. You find out something about someone, somebody is emotionally vulnerable to you, or you find out some secret about some person, and you go around and you tell somebody else, they were emotionally naked, I guess you could say. They were emotionally just transparent, and you take that thing that was sacred to them, and you bring it before other people. And so Ham was marveling at his father's shame. He took pleasure in his father's shame. Yet the brothers, they did everything to cover their shame. The brothers, they walked backwards just so that they would not look. And they covered him so that no one else would catch their father in that vulnerable state. Oh, that's so righteous. That is a good thing that they did. Imagine just someone doing that same thing to you. They're coming to you and they're like, guess what happened with this person? And they're telling you like the, the craziest, most intimate details about a person and you just stop them right there. I'm covering that. I don't want you to continue that story. So you can think about that, how their brothers, that they brothers, they didn't even want to see their father's shame. They didn't want anybody else to see their father's shame. They were wise in that sense. And so Noah wakes up from his drunkenness. It says, and Noah says this, he curses his son Ham, but Ham's actual son. He, he curses Ham's son Canaan, okay? 
It says, a servant, cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. Canaan will be cursed by becoming a slave to his brothers. You see that? Canaan will be cursed by becoming a slave to his brothers. That is the curse. And then he tells Shem, he says, Shem is blessed. But the way that Shem is blessed is a weird way in which he says that. He says, he doesn't directly say, Shem, bless you. God blesses you. It says that he blesses the God of Shem. He says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. He's not, the, the, the blessing is not directly, directly to Shem. He's blessing the God of Shem. Which is another way of saying that Shem is blessed by being God's own possession. In this passage, he's essentially saying, you will be the Lord's possession. And then Japheth. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. Okay? Look at Japheth. Japheth, Noah says to Japheth, may God enlarge your camp. Right? And watch, watch what it says. You should see it with me. It says, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem. What does that mean? Let Japheth dwell in the tent of Shem. Later on, you're going to find out that Shem, eventually down Shem's line, there's a man called Abraham in Shem's line. Eventually, from Abraham, what's the nation that comes from Abraham? Israel, right? The Jewish people. Shem, you can go to trace him down to, to Abraham. Abraham, you can trace him down to the nation of Israel. But, Noah blesses Shem, but Noah also blesses Japheth. Which means that Japheth is going to be blessed as well. People outside of Israel will be blessed as well. God always had in mind the blessings of the whole nations. And so he says, he says that Japheth will be in Shem's tent. Possibly it means that God will bless the nation of Israel and under such blessings, the Gentiles will come under. God has always had the nations in mind. And so, we read these blessings and we read these curses. You see the Canaanites. Eventually in the storyline, you will see that the Canaanites... They become a wicked people. Moses, as we said before, he is about to enter to, into the land of the Canaanites with the people of Israel. And he's telling them this story that we just read. And as he's telling them the story, they begin to have an understanding of who the Canaanites are. But 
you know what God does before he sends his people into Canaan? He tells his people, do not be like the Canaanites. And watch what God says about the Canaanites. He says, don't be like the Canaanites. Do not uncover your sister's nakedness. Do not uncover your brother's nakedness. Do not uncover your father's nakedness. That's what he does. Do not enter into sexual relations with those in your family, in your immediate family. And he goes on and he explains these, these restrictions, uh, these restrictions, what not to do sexually. Doesn't that not remind you of his father, great-great-grandfather, Ham, uncovering nakedness? He didn't uncover, but he looked. And so that's a connection right there you could see. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop torturing you with a bunch of names and a bunch of details. But I want you to see a few things from this passage. A few things that we can think of from this passage. Let's ask the question, how do we receive blessings today? The rapper was saying that in his chorus, I'm way up, I feel blessed. I feel blessed and I feel blessed. Is being blessed necessarily something that you feel? When you're, when, you're, when you're blessed, how do you know that you're blessed? And so what we need to do is we need to go to the Bible and look at what God's word says about those who are blessed and what God's word says about those who are cursed. See, a lot of people, when they have used this passage to justify slavery, they would say, yeah, black people, they came, come from Canaanites. But there's no real way, I don't believe there's any real way of tracing black people back to the Canaanites. So what, we, what are we going to do? What are we going to do as a result of this passage? The Bible actually clearly makes a distinction about those who are truly blessed and those who are not. Even in Canaan, there was someone who was blessed in Canaan. Do you know that? They were under a, the curse, correct? But yet they were still blessed. Who was the person that was blessed in Canaan? Rahab, the prostitute. She lived in, in um, um, help me, Jericho. Jericho, there you go. She lived in Jericho. Right? Jericho is in Canaan, right? And yet Rahab had faith. Even in the midst of this curse, she had faith in the living God and she was saved. And the Bible teaches, right? Watch this, that because we are breakers of the law, all of us are under a curse. If there's anything that you've ever listened to me, and if, if, if you ever listened to me throughout the whole sermon, if there's only one thing to listen to, listen to this. All ears. 
All of us are under a curse because we have broken the law originally. But Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse. That even though you and I, we have inherited this curse, we have taken on this curse because we have broken God's law. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, Jesus Christ, who has never, ever sinned at all, Jesus Christ, who deserves to be blessed forever, never sinning, never doing one wrong against his Father God, never having one thought wrong against his Father, and don't, therefore Jesus Christ received, deserves all blessings. But he forfeited that. He goes down to this earth and he lives this perfect life that you and I could not live. You and I are under this curse and Jesus Christ is not under the curse. He's walking freely. Freely before his father. Never sinning. And as he lives perfectly in this world, this man, Jesus Christ, he has a mission. And he has a mission to die on the tree. Die on the cross. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, Galatians 3, verse 13, it says, Cursed be the person on the cross who's on the tree. Why is it that a perfect man, that a righteous man, that a man who does not deserve to be cursed is hanging on a tree under God's judgment? The reason why is because God has taken our curse He's taken our sins and he's laid it upon his son. And instead of punishing us, the father punishes Jesus Christ on the cross. And so if you want to know what it means to be blessed, then you must go to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ takes that curse upon him. And you could receive salvation. You could be blessed. Not because you're black. Not because you're white. Not because you're Asian. Not because of anything else, but because you have placed your faith in a man who lived 2,000 years ago, a Jewish man. And you say, I'm going to place my faith, my hope in this man, Jesus Christ. Outside of that, there's all cursings. You follow? How do I know if I'm blessed or if I'm cursed? To be truly blessed, friends doesn't mean that you are blessed financially. A lot of people in this world are making way more money than you are. Right? It doesn't mean that they're more blessed than you are. See, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this. He said, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings. Yeah, you might not be able to see your blessings, that's true. You might not be able to see your salvation, that's true. But if your faith and your hope is in Jesus Christ, then my friends, you are eternally more blessed than any billionaire in this world. No matter how many times they sing that they're blessed, you have Jesus Christ. You have eternal life. Friends, I remember just looking at an art, look, uh, looking at... Um, as I was on the, on the internet, I, I realized that there was a uh, 
Is it Blake 182, that, the, the member who passed away? It was same difference, right? Okay, sorry, sorry. Um, Lincoln Park. Um, someone from Lincoln Park um, passed away. He committed suicide. I didn't look at the details of it. I think I, I, I glanced through it. And I'm just like, man, this is so sad. It's such a sad world. And you, you look at people, no matter how much money that they, they, they accrue, sometimes this depression still hits them. And you realize that, as, as one person said who had m millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, as he laid sick on his bed, as he laid sick on his bed, he knew that his days were numbered. He knew that he, it was only a matter of days. I don't know, remember, know if it was cancer. I don't know. It was a terminal disease that he had. And this billionaire is on the bed, and he's asking the nurse, he's saying, please, I will give you half of my possessions if you could just let me live for six more months. And they couldn't do anything to rescue him. My friends, who are blessed? Who are the blessed ones? The blessed ones, my friends, are those who have secured their hopes in Jesus Christ and have eternal life. No matter how poor you are, the fact that you have eternal life is the most important thing. And so my first next step might be this. Maybe you're, the step that you have to take is this. You have to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you want to learn more about who Jesus Christ is. That's fine. If you want to learn more about who Jesus is, I would love to be able to talk to you. We have many people here who would love to have a conversation with you about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And maybe you're just a little apprehensive. You're like, ah, uh, you know, maybe, maybe not now, maybe later. You know, maybe that's okay. That's okay. But at least allow us the opportunity to walk with you. Allow us the opportunity to walk with you and to help you to see Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're here today and you're thinking, man, I am a Christian. But the way that I think of blessings is completely wrong. I've borrowed the world's definition of blessing. I want to ask you to go home and read what the Bible says about those who are truly blessed. And I want, to look, and I want you to look at you as such. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of of sinners don't sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord. That's who's blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who have an orientation towards God. Those are who are blessed. Stop looking at the world to define what blessing is, but look to God and look to his word to define what blessing is. And my friends, also we have a mandate. We have a special mandate to go tell people in this world this beautiful, beautiful blessing that they could have. This world is under a curse in the sense that this world is heading towards destruction, but we have a mandate as Christians 
to be a blessing to this world and to tell people about Jesus Christ. And then finally, I want to encourage all of you, as you're reading through these passages, you read Noah, you read um, what Noah did, and he sent curses and he sent blessings. Like, can we do that as Christians? And you wonder, well, can we do that? And all throughout the New Testament, you see again and again and again, it says, bless, do not curse. Bless your neighbors. Bless even your enemies. Those who are even going against you, my friends. And so we have this thing called progressive revelation where we have the entirety of God's word. So we have God's whole word at our disposal and we can understand what God really wants. God wants us to follow Jesus Christ the one who has taken the cross, the cross for us, who has said to his enemies, you know what? Instead of cursing back, I'm going to be a blessing to you. And so we are obligated to be like our Lord Jesus Christ. That those who come against us and curse us, we bless them. And Lord willing, we see them come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.